Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksam Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Dealing with Disappointment by Lama Kathy Wesley. The last 18 months have been a roller coaster of complex emotions for everyone. How do we deal with our own anger and disappointment over changes in our lives and the disappointment of others? This talk will cover the roots of disappointment and how we can handle it in constructive ways. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Uh, this is uh, Kathy Wesley, Lama Kathy, talking to you from uh, beautiful downtown central Ohio uh, for the 11.30 a.m. Columbus Karma Takesum Choling Sunday Dharma Talk. So I'd like to thank all of you for uh, coming and being with us this morning. Um, the, um, uh, the topic uh, for today is uh, dealing with disappointment. Uh, which is uh, something that I think everybody has been experiencing uh, in the um, in the not too distant past. Uh, in fact, I think every day that we uh, read the newspapers or uh, watch television or check our internet news sources, we're seeing a lot of um, really uh, angry, unhappy, disappointed people in in all different walks of life. Uh, registering their um, their pain and registering their anger in all kinds of situations. In fact, I think uh, we're seeing uh, so much now. We're hearing about people acting out badly on airplanes. We're hearing about people acting out badly in school board meetings. And there's a lot of yelling going on everywhere. And I... I know it's 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 really hard to deal with. It's hard to it's hard to face. It's hard to look at. Um, it hurts. It hurts inside us as individuals to see this kind of of uh, suffering. And I was reflecting on it this week because it struck me that a lot of this anger and uh, bad behavior and aggression. I think is actually coming from an unusual an unusual place. I think it's coming from grief. I think it's coming from a, a, a sense of loss. If we look back at the last two years, the last 18 months at the very least, we can see that um, all of us have had our lives disrupted by the pandemic. And all of us have lost someone that we know to the, the illness. And as a result, there's parts of our life that are missing, people who are dear to us, people we knew. But the other thing that I think we're grieving is the loss of the life we thought we were going to have. I've spoken to so many people. I've spoken, I spoke uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to a woman who is an artist who realized she would no longer be able to pursue her art because she would have no uh, financial support. 
from the people who buy her art because everybody was curtailing purchases and so on. And this meant they, that she would have to go and live with family members. And this is incredibly distressing because the life that we see for ourselves is always a life of things getting better and better and better and things getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And when we don't have that, when that doesn't happen for us, or when we see things going in the opposite direction, getting worse and worse and worse, then we become distressed. And I think that this pandemic has tested all of us in, in many ways, some more than others, for this sense of, of grief and loss, that having lost 18 months of our life that we were hoping we could use elsewhere. Our children losing time in school that they could have had and so on and so forth. And what often happens in situations of disappointment is blame. We look for someone to blame. We look for someone who's at fault because this is this pandemic is beyond us. It's greater than we are. It's bigger than we are. And uh, but somehow we feel that someone could and should be responsible. And so then we look for people to blame. And uh, and this then just causes a cycle of negativity because not only are we uh, finding people to blame, we're uh, we're actually creating more negativity by blaming them and creating more negativity by being angry and by saying, well, you're at fault and it's, and it's because of you. And in the end, uh, we just end up in another circle because we're, we experience the negativity and then we give out negativity to other people. And so then it just keeps going around and around and around. And uh, and there's 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 a lot there's a lot of um, of suffering to go around. And uh, if we look from the Buddhist, because because I'm a Buddhist, I'm going to always be speaking from the Buddhist point of view. If we look at the Buddhist point of view, part of the the experience of disappointment happens because we are trying to do something that's impossible, and that is. Uh, we're trying to impose order on a disordered world. We're trying to impose permanence on an impermanent world. And we're trying to assert control over something that's beyond our control. And um, I remember um, a, a line from a, a quip from a film that stuck with me is that uh, uh, control isn't what it's cracked up to be. And so if we're trying to get down to the bottom of disappointment, I think we need to look no further than our own expectations. And, um, and the fact that our expectations are going to be disappointed pretty much continuously if we attempt to control a world that is basically not under our control. The Buddha taught uh, one of the basic teachings that the Buddha gave was the teaching on impermanence. He said that everything in this world is impermanent. People are impermanent. Situations are impermanent. Um, 
history is impermanent. Everything is continuously in motion. Even our own personalities are like a, a stream. He said uh, we have a stream of being. He didn't say we had uh, a soul or a spirit. He said we were a stream of being and that this stream of being was continuously uh, moving and changing. And so because from his point of view, everything was, was impermanent, then to do anything opposite that would be to do something that didn't make sense. In other words, trying to impose permanence on an impermanent situation is kind of a, a fool's errand at the very least. And so um, what we have now is a situation where we are definitely not in control of what happens. We're not in control of the, of the disease, but we can be control in control of our own safety, wearing a mask or keeping social distance or uh, getting vaccinated. All of these things are being um, offered to us as ways to protect ourselves and our family from uh, the COVID uh, disease. And so if we can do those things, we can improve our chances, but we still can't ever totally be in control. And uh, as I say, not being in control triggers grief. And those of you who are familiar with uh, the teachings on grief know that there are five behaviors that, um, that we bounce between when we're coping with grief. And these five behaviors are things we can bounce between or even get stuck in. And those five things are denial, anger, depression, bargaining and acceptance. These are uh, sometimes uh, uh, called the five stages of grief, although the, uh, the author of the original text later went back and said, well, they aren't so much stages as they are experiences that grieving people experience and bounce back and forth between until they reach a sense of integration. And so now, if, now that we have a sense of what we're grieving, we're grieving the loss of people we love, we're grieving the loss of our freedom, we're grieving the loss of, of um, the life that we thought we were going to have, then how are we going to react to that? Well, we can see there are a lot of people who are in denial. They're saying that the, the, um, that the pandemic isn't real. And then we have people who are angry saying, well, it's your fault, or it's your fault, or it's your fault. And then we have many people who have collapsed into depression and are concerned uh, with everything. Uh, and they're, 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 they've sort of collapsed on themselves. And then we have other people who are still other people who are saying, well, if I do this thing, then everything will go well. Or if I do that thing, everything will go well, engaging in bargaining. And then finally, there are people who accept that they have had a loss and and are starting to grieve that loss and to do what they need to do to take care of themselves in order to deal with the disappointment that life has handed them. So if we look at all of these behaviors and all the bouncing back and forth, it all seems to stem from one thing. It's not just, it's not just the, uh, the idea of um, impermanence. It's the idea that we can somehow, we somehow believe that we can control impermanence, that we can control what's happening. And that control, the illusion of control comes from our fixation 
on uh, ourselves and our fixation on our ideas and our fixation on our desires and and our, the stories that we would like to have happen in our life. And the Buddha boiled all these down to one term. He called it ego fixation. He said that at our root, we believe that we are special. At our root, we believe that we are superior. And in fact, it's not just that our class or our group are superior, but that we individually are superior. So much so that if there were a line where people were waiting for something, we would want to be at the head of that line. Or if uh, someone was going to receive a gift, we would be first in line to get that gift. So we have the sense that we are the most important thing in the universe, and therefore our desires and wishes are the most important things in the universe. And guess what? This impermanent and sometimes chaotic world does not hand us what we expect. And there's disappointment again. So all disappointment is rooted in ego fixation and the fact that we want what we want and we can't necessarily deal with the idea that we're not getting what we want. And we don't, and so part of ego fixation is expectation. We expect that somehow we will magically not have to deal with all of the pain and difficulty that other people have to deal with. We think that somehow we're exceptional and that we shouldn't have to deal with all of these things that everybody else is dealing with. And that makes us angry when things don't go our way. And um, we think that these things shouldn't be happen happening to us and that we then have a right to do whatever we want to do in response to that, which is, I think, why we're seeing so much bad behavior uh, going on uh, right now. We're blaming others and we're attempting to assert our idea of how things should be. So what's the, what's the solution? What, what is the solution to all this disappointment? I think that number one, recognizing that impermanence is supreme and that we will never get control of impermanence is probably going to be the first thing we can do to help ourselves. And then the second thing I think that we can do um, to help ourselves is to actually gain control over the one thing that we actually do have control of in this world, and that is ourselves. If we look at the teachings of the Buddha and we go back to the Dhammapada, the, the Dharma path, Dhammapada is the very first piece of writing that laid out the sayings of the Buddha. The Dhammapada says we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts and with our thoughts, we make the world. And if we think, speak and act with a selfish mind, suffering follows us. And if we think, speak and act with an unselfish mind, happiness follows us. And so in a way, the Buddha in the opening words of his very first collection of sayings is telling us that we have control over our own thoughts. We have control over our own feelings. We have control over everything that has to do with us. Now, at first, it may not seem like this. At first, it might think, we might think that, well, these thoughts are just coming up unbidden. These feelings are just coming up unbidden. These emotions are coming up uh, unbidden. I don't have control over those things. Well, the Buddha agrees with you. We may not have control over the first moment. And in Buddhist teachings, it's actually called the first moment of a thought 
feeling, emotion, and so on. But through training and taming the mind, we gradually and slowly, we gradually and slowly can come under control. We can bring the second moment, the third moment, the fourth moment, the fifth moment under our control. That first moment, it's always going to be a lack of control until the time we achieve Buddhahood or enlightenment. When we, when we achieve this spiritual awakening that the Buddha achieved and become Buddhas ourselves, then the first moment will come under our control. <laughs> but until then, the first moment of any thought, feeling, or emotion is going to be beyond us. However, through training, we're going to be able to get hold of the second, the third, the fourth, and the subsequent moments of emotion. <laughs> and how do we do that? Through training. The very initial training that we have is in a tranquility meditation. The, the tranquility meditation, sometimes called shamatha in Sanskrit or shine in Tibetan, or calm abiding, is where we place our attention on a single object, whether it's a, a small stone or a small stick or uh, a small image of a Buddha, or if it's our breath, being uh, attentive to our breath as it comes in and goes out. If we can, um, if we can remain attentive to that, and then when our thoughts wander from that, bring it back. When if we can bring that back, we can then control that moment of thought, feeling, or emotion by returning to the breath, the object of our meditation. And when we do this, we actually do, we, we engage in a different kind of control, not trying to control the externals in the world, but trying to control the internals of the world, the internal, which is our reaction, our response. We can't control what is coming at us from the outside, but what we can control is how we respond to it. And so um, the, the control that comes from meditation and mindfulness practice is a different kind of control. It's not this ego-driven, egoistic control trying to make everything fit our image. Instead, it's our control over the, the things with which we are most familiar, which is our thoughts and feelings. And what we notice in uh, the practice of meditation, those of you who have trained in meditation know how it works. You sit quietly uh, in a in a uh, stable posture, whether you're sitting in a chair or sitting in the sitting on the floor or even lying on the floor, with supports under your head and knees. Just even yoga postures and so on. What we can do when we have our body in a stable position is that our thoughts naturally relax and come to rest when our body is in a stable posture. But then we add an internal discipline. We take a deep breath, we breathe out, and then we allow the breath to come and go naturally, paying attention to the, the feeling of the breath as it comes in and goes out. And when we place our attention in this way, thoughts, feelings, and emotions have less power. If we are distracted by a thought, a feeling, or an emotion, the technique of meditation is to notice that thought, feeling, or emotion, label it, thinking, let go of it, and let it disappear, and then return to the breath for a fresh start. Now, 
The part I want to talk about is that part of when you let that thought go, where does it go? Where, where does it go? It actually disappears. It disappears. And, uh, and where it returns is to this stream of being that the Buddha talked about. This mind that is very vast and very deep and continuously moves and changes. It, what we do is we get a, I guess you could call it an ultimate reality check. We get an ultimate reality check on, on who we are and what we're thinking and feeling. And so what we can do is we can let go in that moment of that thought, feeling, or emotion when we're seated in meditation. It's going to take a while for that discipline to, um, to expand into our everyday life. But once it does, we can actually begin to notice in the moment of disappointment how we are feeling. Instead of instantly jumping into the blame game, oh, that person's at fault or that person's at fault, we can take a moment to return to just breathing, just breathing, just breathing. And by centering ourselves again on the breath in that moment of emotion, we can have we can let go of all of the extraneous thoughts, feelings, and emotions that arise. We can let them go. And when we let them go, we can feel that relief that comes from being at one with and in harmony with that stream of being that we are. And eventually over time, we can recognize strong feelings and emotions by how they make our body feel. When we begin to feel tense or, or tight in our body, that can be a cue to look at the breath and be, uh, and be one with the breath and be in harmony with the breath. And by doing that, we have our first method of dealing with disappointment, which is in the moment to connect to our very basic being through the breath. And if we connect with our very basic being, then we, at the very least, are not following those thoughts, feelings, and emotions outward and playing the blame game. The next thing we can train in, besides um, the quiet sitting practice, is on uh, a practice that's very popular in, uh, in, uh, in modern mental health circles. It's called cultivating the attitude of gratitude. And by cultivating this attitude that we are actually grateful for the things that are happening in our life and for all the, the abundance that we already have in our lives, if we can look and feel thankful and grateful for what we have, we're then placing in our stream of being thoughts that are healthy and that are healthier that will raise us up when we're feeling down. And so being able to remember the goodness of ourselves and the goodness of others and looking for, and as uh, I often quote the great Bodhisattva, Fred Rogers, and he said, when things are going wrong, look for the helpers and look at how they are and look what they're doing. So right now we have a lot of angry people and it is, and it is our, uh, it is our tendency to uh, latch on to a negative story. It is human nature to latch on to a negative story because it, it could become a threat to us. But what if we also 
began to attach to that which was positive. Why don't we give the same amount of attention to that which is positive as opposed to that which is not? And so that's something that we can spend some time thinking about and developing in our own minds. This attitude of gratitude can also be cultivated through the practices of metta, and that's spelled M-E-T-T-A, metta, which is loving kindness, or the Tibetan version, which is called Tonglen, T-O-N-G-L-E-N. Whether we're practicing metta or Tonglen, what we're doing is we're training our attitude, and the attitude is one of love. Because that's, in the, in the end, what we're training in when we train in the attitude of gratitude. We're not saying, you are at fault, and you're at fault, and you're at fault, and you're bad, and you're bad, and you're bad. We're saying, we're all in this together. We're all human. I'm going to be with the goodness of humanity rather than the badness. And so as a result, this is something that we can do as individuals and being able to cultivate love. So metta is incredibly easy to practice. You, you close your eyes and use your imagination and you think that, uh, that you send out goodness first to yourself and your family, and then you send out goodness to all the people who live in your household, all the people who live in the neighborhood, all the people who live in the city, all the people who live in the state, the county, the world. And eventually by uh, sending out this love, you're cultivating within yourself a different sense of who you are. We're no longer just the disappointed person who didn't get what they wanted. We're actually a person who has abundance and who has love. And so I'm thinking that these two practices of shamatha and tonglen are incredibly important and helpful in dealing with disappointment. There are other things that we can do to deal with uh, fear, uh, grief, and disappointment. We can also um, practice uh, prayer, and we can also uh, practice um, aspirations. Um, we can pray to uh, whoever our higher power is, whether it's God, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the Buddha or whoever, we can actually begin to, uh, to aim our mind at something that's positive, goodness itself in the person of God or the Buddha or whatever our higher power is. And we can do these kinds of things in order to, um, in order to have someone to turn to when things go wrong. So if we have someone to turn to and we have a person uh, or a being who we can think of, this at least gives us, I guess what you could call some first aid in dealing with disappointment. And it's really important that we learn how to deal with disappointment. The, uh, the great 20th century Buddhist master Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche in an article once about the topic of uh, death and dying said that if we look as human beings, if we want to know who we will be at the moment of our deaths, he said, what we need to do is we need to look at who we are in the moment of our disappointment. So when we feel that loss, that grief, that disappointment, and we see how we react to that, 
that gives us an idea of the work we still need to do on ourselves in order to become the people we want to become and the person who is at ease with change and the person who is at ease with misfortune and the person who is at ease with disappointment. I have um, an example, and I used this just recently in a Dharma talk, so forgive, uh, forgive me for repeating. But um, there was a, I visited a Dharma friend in Northern Ohio, and uh, she was getting ready to take her children on a day trip. And I can't remember all the details, but she spent a little bit of time before the trip reminding her children that things might not go the way they want and that it's going to be okay if they don't go the way they want. She made up a little chant that sounded like, we're going to the zoo, we're going to the zoo. And when we get to the zoo, the zoo is closed. And then they, they come up with ideas about what they're going to do if the zoo is closed. And we're going to the park. We're going to the park, and so on. And then what to do if there's a if there's something happening in the park, and so on. And I think that uh, that one of the benefits of prayer is in turning to our higher power is that it gives us some alternatives to think about. We can and should be in a position through our mind training, through our attitude of gratitude training, and through not participating in the blame game, if we can do these things, we're going to have some tools for dealing with the disappointments that arise. And we may even be able to think in that open space that we've provided ourselves by meditating and by practicing gratitude and love. We may actually be able to give ourselves some space to come up with creative ideas about what we can do in a situation that seems out of control. So um, uh, I wanted to make sure that um, I left a little bit of time for questions today. So uh, what I might do is I might pause here. And I have a few other things I can talk about and say. But if there's anybody who has questions, you can type them in the chat, uh, both on YouTube and on Facebook. And I'll see them here. And then I can answer any questions you might have. Maybe you've been encountering some angry people. Maybe you've been uh, working uh, with some disappointment. And, um, in any case, uh, I'd like to see if you have anything that you'd like to talk about in particular today. Uh, I, have, I, I have pages of notes about things that I could say, but I want to see if I can hear anything from you folks first. And if there's nothing there, then I'll continue and talk about uh, other things we can do to work with disappointment. Let's see what's happening over in chat. One of the things that uh, people commonly ask at, at a time like this is they ask, uh, you've been talking about all of the things that, that we can do for ourselves, but what do we do when somebody is coming at us with anger? What do we do when we're facing an angry person, a person who may be walking up to you in public? and saying that you're wrong because you're wearing a mask or whatever, what, what should you do with all of these sorts of things? And I feel like um, one of the things that these trainings uh, give us is they give us the potential to be able 
to do something different in a situation because we all have patterns of reaction. Some of us, when things don't go our way, we get angry. We angry, you know, we get angry or we get upset. And, uh, and so that's one thing that can happen. Um, but we also have the potential to become sad and to become closed down when things don't go our way. And when, and if we can see what happens for us, we can then imagine what's happening for that other person. Usually we're very concerned about self-preservation. So when somebody is coming at us angrily, it, it, it makes it very tough uh, for us to, to think on our feet. But if we can take a moment and breathe, that's the first step, just being able to breathe, just breathe. And, uh, and doing some breathing. Then when we are able to breathe and to be still and say nothing, then we can listen. And we can listen. And what we're listening for is the place that, that, uh, that the pain and suffering of that person who's coming at us. Because people who are angry are not having a good time it's pretty much a given that someone who is expressing anger is not feeling well within themselves. Perhaps they've become addicted to the, the rush of, of uh, hormones that happens in the body when they're angry and they feel they have to be angry all the time in order to be effective as human beings. It could be that that is what is what we see. But if we can connect some, somehow and go to and visit the place of that other person's pain. Where are they hurting? Ask yourself, where are they hurting? Is their pride hurt? Are they feeling grief that they can't acknowledge and are therefore coming at you angrily for something that's not your fault? They may see you as an enemy, but the fact of the matter is the enemy is within themselves. The enemy is within themselves. And they can't stand it. And so they're they're putting that on you. So even if all you can do is uh, listen briefly and turn away, that, that would be better than yelling back at somebody or threatening them in return. So something that you can do when something is coming at you is first recognize that you're feeling this, uh, this tension and the stress, which is coming from fixation, self-fixation. Breathe intentionally in and breathe intentionally out a few times and then see if you can listen. And if you can listen and not react, then perhaps you'll be able to see or feel the place of their pain. And if you can go to the place of their pain and address that directly, that can be a very interesting thing. But if it's an unsuccessful situation and the person is, is really beyond your skill level, it is perfectly all right to turn around and walk away. And you can do that quickly. So it's um, that's something to think about. I see that there are a couple of things, a couple of comments in chat. Let me take a look at them and see what we have. Um, what if you experience anger yourself? Is coming back to the breath the best antidote? I'm disappointed in myself with anger inside sometimes. Um, yes, uh, I understand that. I understand that. Um, 
I think we all feel disappointed in ourselves sometimes. Sometimes our self-fixation is that we erroneously think, oh, I'm the best. And sometimes our self-fixation shows in erroneously thinking, I'm the best at being the worst. And so if, if we can take a moment, I think uh, um, Jessica, the, the person who asked the question, Jessica, I think that coming back to the breath is the first step, but it might not be the last step in this kind of a situation. When we're angry with ourselves, we're disappointed with ourselves that we weren't the person we wanted to be in that moment. And that's going to happen to us forever. As long as we're human, we're going to feel this disappointment. After we're a Buddha, then we don't have to worry about this kind of disappointment anymore. But until Buddhahood, we have to take good care of ourselves. And so you start with the breath, just being and connecting to the breath. Do a few breaths in and out, con you know, conscious breaths. And then the uh, what my teacher, Kempo Kartaripache, uh, taught us to do was when we feel disappointment in ourselves, he said frequently it's because we've made something that we think of as a mistake. And so he said, what if in that moment that you felt disappointment in yourself, you, you actually universalized your feeling and you actually thought about all of the other people who are feeling exactly the same way you are right now. And you think everyone makes mistakes right now. I cast my attention to, or I turn my attention to all beings who in this moment are feeling this disappointment because of mistakes. May I be free of mistakes. May all beings be free of mistakes. And may we all become Buddhas. And in making that aspiration, by the time we have finished making that aspiration, when we return, we will find that the feeling of disappointment we have in ourselves is a little bit less. It's a little bit less. It won't be gone completely, but it will be a little bit less. And then we can apply it again. May I and all beings be free of mistakes and may we all become Buddhas. And you can make this aspiration two or three times and then turn to your higher power, uh, whether it's God or the Buddha, and say, please grant me your blessing that I am free from uh, this uh, pain and disappointment. You can even use a visualization practice. My teacher uh, encouraged us to uh, visualize the Buddha in front of us, shining golden light. And that that golden light, he said, you should imagine the golden light shines on you and removes all of the negative habits, including blaming yourself and being angry with yourself, that it removes all of those things, all of those negative afflictions. And then the Buddha that you're visualizing in front of you dissolves into light and merges with you and blesses you. And then you can sit quietly in the sense of blessing and make the aspiration that all feel it sometimes. So uh, try these things and let me know if they work. Uh, you, can, you can send me a message uh, on Facebook. I see that you're on Facebook, so you can send a message or you can type another uh, comment in here after you've tried it out and let me know how it's going, okay? I'll be thinking about you because uh, that's a, this disappointment in oneself is something I've dealt with. Everybody, I still deal with it, so everybody deals with it. And, uh, and hello to Barbara. Thank you very much for your message. I really appreciate it. And you can, uh, and you can connect anytime.
uh, just uh, check uh, check in with uh, uh, my my friend Pam, who schedules my interviews. Someone is commenting. Um, so interesting how we deal. Let's see. Um, okay, this is just uh, how we deal with disappointment is how we may be at the time of death. Could you say more about that? I understand the reaction of disappointment equaling opportunity for reflection. Yes, yes, uh, definitely we can do that. Um, how we deal, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, when I read his comment the first time with how we deal with disappointment has to do with how we will be at the time of death, how we will deal with, how we will cope with illness and how we will cope with death. I think it really, um, it's like the, how we deal with disappointment is like the 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 fastest purest form of self fixation <laughs> and and how we are fixated on ourselves and what we think of when we're fixated on ourselves the, the, you can see it in the moment of disappointment you can like watch it on somebody's face when they feel that disappointment you can feel it in yourself when you feel that disappointment it's about not things not going the way i want them to go and that's like, you could call it a little death. It's not the big death. It's not leaving this life, but it is a little death and that we feel a grief at having lost our vision for how things should be. That's why I was saying at the top of this um, talk, I think that what we're seeing and why we're seeing so much anger, public anger and public um, uh, disgust right now and people blaming each other and pointing fingers and so on is because everybody's grieving the life that they lost, the life, their own life that they lost, the vision of a life that they lost uh, because of COVID. And I think that when we, when we look at these little deaths of little griefs and little losses, then we can kind of get an idea of who we're going to be and what's going to be our challenge at the moment of illness and what our challenge is going to be at the moment of death. And this is why in Buddhism, there is uh, not a quick fix for things. All of our techniques take time and they take practice. So when we practice shamatha every day, that quiet sitting meditation, when we practice that every day, we may think we're just doing nothing and that it's not having any positive effect, but it actually is in that it's allowing us to sit with and be with our feelings in a different way. And we're being and sitting with our feelings and thoughts, not in a, oh, things are terrible, oh, things are terrible kind of way, but in a noticing, labeling, letting go, and then returning kind of way. In other words, we treat our thoughts, feelings, and emotions the same. Uh, the Buddha called thoughts, feelings, and emotions mental events. They're all just things that are arising in our mind. And by noticing those things arising in our mind and being able to let them go and see them disappear, we give them less strength. And when we give them less strength, we have more power and more control over what we keep on our minds. We may not ever be able to control what bubbles up in our attention and in our consciousness, but we can slowly gain control over what we grab hold of and work within ourselves on. So I'm hoping that this is helpful to you, Lynn. Thank you for that question. I think that coping with little deaths and little griefs 
are important and that's why our methods are done daily, why we practice shamatha daily, why we practice metta or tonglen daily. We practice our compassion and gratitude every day and every day and every day so that when misfortune happens, we'll be ready. Um, that's why we admire, uh, that's the, uh, I'm sorry, that's the, um, the feature we admire in great performers, whether they're musicians or athletes or whatever, is that they train and train and train and train. So at the moment that their performance is needed, that they're, they are naturally present. So hopefully this is useful. Here's, um, here's uh, oh yeah, here's a great question. Uh, this is a good question. Could you say something about the connection between hope and disappointment? Uh, great question. Um, yes, uh, I, I when I teach a, 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 about Buddhist principles, I, I make a couple of distinctions. The, during the 1970s, when Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche was teaching, he liked to say, hope is bad, give up hope. And I think that that really flavored a lot of people negatively toward the word hope. The reason I feel, I mean, who can guess the mind of a Buddha, right? But what I, my feeling was is that uh, he was counteracting the prevalent belief among Buddhists at that time that if they just sat in the presence of an awakened master, they themselves would be awakened in that moment and that that master would save them. And he wanted people, he wanted to sort of disabuse people of that notion that just by sitting with him, they would become enlightened. And so he used irony and exaggeration in his teaching and, and as a way of helping to turn them away from the unrealistic attitude that sitting with a master was going to give them enlightenment. Because enlightenment is something you have to train to do and something you have to work on within yourself. A master can't give it to you. So what he was saying is that we have to be free from hope and fear and when and so kind of what i'm thinking here is that i think hope is a great word so you have to you have to forgive me i love the word hope but where hope gets gets uh, difficult is where it becomes it crosses over from being aspirational i hope for a good future for myself and my family i hope for peace in the world to I expect this to happen. And expectation is really flavored with self-fixation, like this better happen or I'm gonna be disappointed. As the comedy routine once said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So the what we're thinking, what I'm thinking of here is that there's a difference between hope, which I see as being aspirational, I want this to happen, and expectation, meaning, my ego insists that things go my way and I want that to happen. So rather than thinking about hope and fear, what we might really need to think about is expectation and anxiety. And so if we have expectation, then we're gonna feel anxiety that what we want is not going to come to pass. Whereas if we make the aspiration, may good things come and may they come not just to me, but may they come to all beings. By thinking like this, we universalize the idea of, of goodness and we try to share it with others. So um, 
Expectation. Now, here's the thing. Expect When we expect something, we have set the level for our disappointment. I mean, it's like it's like expectation has disappointment right inside of it. It's like the rock in a snowball. It's 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 a, the thing that's going to damage us is inside that expectation. So so we've set the level of our disappointment when we say you will always be on time. Now, we're not talking about employers and employees. We're talking about friends here meeting for dinner or meeting for coffee. So you and your friend are meeting for coffee and you expect your friend to arrive on time. But if your friend does not arrive on time and you expect them to arrive on time, then you have set the level for your disappointment that the instant that they fail to arrive, then you're gonna be disappointed and you're gonna be angry. So if we can kind of soften that a bit and understand that everybody's living their own life and so forth and so on, that we can maybe be a little bit less expectant and a little bit more hopeful. In other words, making aspirations rather than expectations. So I think that this is what differentiates hope from expectation and, and, and so on is that it because it's ego-driven, expectation is ego-driven, it's it's going to inevitably end in some kind of uh, pain and suffering. I want to say one more thing about this. I'm using the example of a friend who's late for coffee. But we all what I'm trying to say is that we should not allow people to abuse us. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that uh, by accepting somebody's behavior that you're allowing people to abuse you. That's not the point. We don't want another person to abuse us. And sometimes the way to do that is by saying, I have done everything that I can for you. I have to stop here. I can't help you any further. So in, in other words, uh, hopefully this is something that will be useful. Okay, let's see. Okay, so that looks like that's all the, uh, that's all the questions that are in chat right now. Okay, very good. All right, uh, so um, uh, so I'm really happy we had this opportunity to talk about uh, talk uh, this happy that we had a time to talk about disappointment. I guess that's a strange thing. Um, I'm hoping that from this uh, talk we've uh, come to understand that the world is impermanent, and therefore to hope that the world is permanent or somehow under our control is to is to set the level for our disappointment and that one of the ways uh, uh, two of uh, uh, three of the ways of coping with that is to learn the practice of quiet sitting meditation so we can sit with ourselves and be with our own thoughts and be there um, gently and with openness and kindness and the practice of metta where we imagine sending goodness out to all people as a way of counteracting our tendency to blame. And then finally turning to our higher power as a method of having and feeling support during uh, situations of disappointment. So it's, uh, it's my hope that this has uh, been of use and help to you and I'd like to conclude with just a short, quiet meditation, uh, because I think that uh, th there's no time like the present to sit quietly <laughs> and meditate. 
I even I even brought my meditation gong with me uh, to to my seat today so we could practice a little meditation together. Uh, we're only going to sit for a couple of minutes, uh, but um, uh, while we're doing this, you can you have a couple different practices you can uh, you can do. You can practice uh, quiet breath awareness meditation. You can practice sending love and goodness out to others or one after the other. And so um, we'll just be sitting quietly for about two or three minutes and practicing meditation together. First off, we dedicate the goodness of this session to all sentient beings, and we dedicate the goodness of our meditation for, um, for everyone. Placing the body in a posture of meditation, taking one deep breath, breathing out, and then allowing the breath to come and go naturally, following the course of the breath. All right. Thanks, everyone, uh, for being part of the uh, Karma Takes Some Chilling 11.30 a.m. Sunday talk. And I hope that uh, this has been useful and helpful to you. And, uh, and uh, please dedicate the goodness of this session to all sentient beings and make the aspiration that by being together today, we benefit others. I'll recite a short Buddhist dedication prayer. Through this merit, May all achieve the omniscience of Buddhahood. May it defeat our common enemy, wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. May we free all beings. May we free all beings. Okay, thanks everyone. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be seeing you again here on Facebook or YouTube. We'll be seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. 
Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.